Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Hi, I'm Brenna Nath, subbing in for HW Media, Editor-in-Chief Sarah Wheeler, and I'm here with our regular conversation with our lead analyst, Logan Motoshami, to go over all of the latest changes when it comes to housing, economics, and data, especially when it comes to the latest news around the recession. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Thanks for joining me, Logan. It's going to be a lot of fun today. Well, as you know, there's no shortage of information why I think it's exciting that I get to chat with you this time because things are changing so fast and the economy and housing and economics are so top of mind. I was actually just on a 10-hour road trip to Dallas this this past uh, weekend and spent most of the time talking about a recession with my dad. <laughs> so excited to get back in the car with him and be able to have a lot of information to equip him and I'm sure what everyone's asking you, these same kind of topics. So Let's jump right in. And so the recession, that's kind of what we're talking about right now. You know, you're publishing articles regularly on our site. Can we first talk about, you have five recession flags. It's five, right? Five are up. We have one more left. Yes. So six total, five flags are up. Can you kind of talk about maybe to start off a recap of where where the state of that is right now? So we're actually at the point of the economic expansion where all I all the questions I get is are is housing going to crash and are we in a recession? And I think a lot of things this year are so unique, just like everything from 2020 and on. We we are dealing with economic data that is so violent up and down that uh, you know I was I was concerned about this in the sense that the bullwhip effect of economic data people might misinterpret it you know as too strong or too good, but um, for me, progression economic models are useful in the sense that they show people how an economy is an expansion, in a recession, and an expansion. It's not really designed for like YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or trying to like recessions here. So it's really, really boring, but it is effective in the sense that, um, you know, G- GDP growth is negative. So traditionally, people think we're in a recession, except industrial production is still growing, employment is growing, real incomes, less transfer payments are growing. Uh, so it, the, the other data lines aren't. The Michigan Consumer Competence Index is at all-time lows, but people are still spending. So um, to talk about this in the sense that we are in the later stages of an expansion and the Federal Reserve is really being aggressive in trying to believe they can fight uh, 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 inflation or energy and wheat prices or, or food prices with rate hikes. So naturally, more and more people are are mindful of recessions. My my thing is that uh, five of my six recession red flags are up. Uh, the last one was uh, housing starts goes back to kind of all the work that we've talked about here on Housing Wire, you know, since uh, 2020 that. When the 10-year yield can get about 1.94% and we get 4% plus mortgage rates, the housing market can change. But we've also had a lot of price inflation from 2020, 2021, and 2022. So the, the downdraft in housing is a little bit more aggressive with this rate rate move. So housing starts permits, they typically fall into a recession. We have a much different backdrop right now than we did in 2005. But the builder's confidence is falling. So they're just going to halt on Production, so that's that's already been raised. Um, 
And this is why in March of this year, when the new home sales report came up, and it was it was a fine report, but I said, okay, listen, the new home sales at risk because rates went up. Typically, this is always the case. Um, but now we're at a level to where I'm looking at the leading economic index and uh, uh, how the components are weighted in that index. You can see that you know this, this index has room to fall over the next four to six months. So traditionally, when it falls four to six months, especially after the last five uh, uh, recession red flags are up, I'm on recession wash. It technically doesn't mean it's a recession, but we're just, okay, we, we've got a lot of components here that are, that are doing this. Now, the interesting aspect with mortgage rates is that the 10-year yield on this Friday morning is at 2.91%. And uh, for, for my work, if, for people who've known me over the years, I, I, I do bond market channel work instead of targeting mortgage rates. So I try to figure out where, where I think the bond market is going to go. Um, and for this year, I thought, you know, if global yields, Japan and Germany could rise, we'd get the 10-year yield to 2.42%. However, once the Russian invasion happened, everything changed. The mortgage market, the bond market, everything started to shoot up. The Federal Reserve pivoted. Uh, really aggressively now going into fighting inflation, which is much different than 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 uh, what was anticipated in 2021. But the 10-year yield has stopped going up. Um, so if you look at the bond market versus mortgage rates from 1975 to uh, 2022, bond, the 10-year yield and mortgage rates tend to trend and track each other. Uh, so the question is, if the recession is happening soon, does the bond market do what it's traditionally done after 1982? Bond yields go down, mortgage rates go down. Or the other side of the equation, which doesn't get talked about a lot, does the bond does bond yields and mortgage rates go up even in a recession? Because that's what happened in the 70s, you know, uh, early 80s. Okay, that would be a, a different thing. That would be a whole brand new different things. I would argue that. The labor force growth back in the 70s and, and the fact that we needed to build stuff out for uh, uh, for the U.S. economy back then is much different than what we have to do. And now, so traditionally, uh, bond yields falling and mortgage rates falling during a recession would seem normal. So we are in this tug of war right now, which that's kind of been the theme for you know our podcast. You know, when does the economy actually really break? When does the Federal Reserve say, hey, listen, we've where we're seeing declines in commodity prices and inflation, greater growth. So we're, we're going to try to keep as many people as employed as possible. And we're right now kind of in the middle of that, about that debate. And five of my six recession red flags are up. So I cannot possibly be a higher mortgage rate person with those recession red flags up and needing one more up. But I, I am sympathetic to the people that believe that if we're in a recession, the Federal Reserve would want to do more damage and hurt more American citizens. Okay, that's fair. If that's if that's how you want to do it to fight inflation, which means energy prices have gone out of hand, which means the Russian invasion got worse, and then possibly China versus Taiwan. These things are not economic related, but if demand is weakening and supply is increasing, okay, that solves the Federal Reserve's problems, and the bond market hasn't really taken off recently just because of they believe that uh, it's not like the late 70s. If it was like the late 70s or early 80s, the 10-year yield would be at 7 8%. We'd have 9 10% mortgage rates already. Uh, it, it hasn't happened for a reason because uh, 
the ability to have the U.S. economy really grow and really have inflation and wages and everything. And, and uh, you have to be really bullish about the U.S. economy to get to that kind of level and just not in that camp. So I'm just staying traditionally in line with what I've uh, uh, talked about in recent years. And while you didn't put a number to it just then, I know earlier you and I were chatting and um, you said some people are in that camp of mortgage rates up to 8% um, with how high mortgage rates should go. And I think there's a clarification there too, that mortgage rates are increasing. That's something that you've been talking about for a while, the need for mortgage rates to change. And it's really, it sounds like what you're saying, it's even that shift in, okay, increase can mean a wide range of what does increase look like. And you're in the camp of, no, it won't get to 8%, but they are going to go up. Well, I, I, for me, it's when we got to like six and a quarter or six and a half percent mortgage rates, the mortgage rates and bond market priced in a lot of things early. This is why I talk about, you know, that level to me is peaking unless I really believe the 10 year yield can go up much higher. Um, we briefly went above the 2018 highs and then we've come back down recently. So the, so for me, it's, you know, do I think the U.S. economy can stay strong enough for yields and mortgage rates to rise? No. Uh, and this kind of explains why bond yields have been coming down recently. Uh, mortgage rate pricing has gotten a little bit better from that that really high uh, rate that we saw uh, uh, a few months ago. So it is it's this tug of war that we're going to really focus on for the next for the second half of 2022. Can the U.S. economy stay firm enough? To where the Federal Reserve and the bond market believes it and more rate hikes because people say, well, the Fed's going to raise rates. And guess what? Uh, mortgage rates are rise. Well, they're kind of retracing back a little bit. Uh, we're kind of a little bit under 6% or around there. We're not we're not going up anymore. So that's, that's the tug of war that I've, I'm trying to get people to focus on because if we really start to see deterioration in the U.S. economy in terms of employment falling, industrial production really falling, re- uh, retail sales really getting negative. It's hard for me to think that bond yields would go up in that environment if they've stopped rising recently. Uh, and, and a lot of the commodity commodities have fallen back just a, uh, uh, recently. Inflation expectations are kind of being anchored. So it's, it's, it's an exciting time to be a bond market economic person because we're for the first time we're dealing with uh, this situation where Commodities are being used as a war. Growth is slowing down. The 10-year yield doesn't believe that we're going to have this high high growth and high inflation. And where are we in the next six months uh, with, uh, at least for me, at least five of my six recession red flags up. So that's, that's, the, that's the real game that's going to happen you know, toward the end of the year. Does the U.S. start to really show recessionary data? And does the bond market start going down like it traditionally does? And that means mortgage rates start going down as they traditionally do. Or is this a new paradigm where rates go up, bond market goes up? Uh, my, my argument is that if that was the case, the 10-year yield would have been much higher last year, would have been much higher now. There's no more quantitative easing, uh, and we're still below 3%. In fact, I, I do this running meme that I survived the 3% 10-year. Whenever the 3% goes over, uh, whenever the 10-year goes over 3%, it comes back down. I usually show a meme of somebody that looks like me leaving a cave. I survived it again. Uh, so it's 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 fascinating because th- I think this is the most interesting time in the last four decades with the bond market and mortgage rates and economics because we're dealing with so many strange variables right now. What's been unique about 
the way your model works is I think we've been watching your flags get raised now for months. And so it's been this very interesting, um, to your point, there's a lot of things going along around that you have inflation, jobs, all of that with each flag that gets raised. Um, Part of my thought behind this next question is like, okay, let's look ahead. Say your sixth flag does get raised. There's a part of me that's like, wow, with each flag, you're kind of building this anticipation um, whether for some people that maybe that's more fear-based or like, what does this mean? We've raised each flag and now we're here. How would you set the pace of, or the tone or the narrative that you think people actually need to hear rather than people who, you know, the slow creep with each flag, maybe making them no- more nervous? How would you actually want them to digest or take away, especially housing professionals, real estate lending, when we do get to that sixth flag? What should they actually take as the tone of how to interpret this and how this impacts them versus you and I have seen all the time that the bubble boys and the people who they are, they are trained to think with each stressor point that like, you know, this giant fallout. So can you set that story? So this is, this is, I actually recently had this talk with an analyst and, um, you know, when, when COVID happened, uh, 20 to 30 million people were technically unemployed and 5 million were in forbearance. So when I talked about, you know, you know, wait until like July 15th and then you'll see their June housing data, housing data should be okay. Um, High unemployment doesn't necessarily mean that housing demand is going to collapse. And I think the, the lack of training by the housing bubble boys who since 2012 have talked about impending crashes is that they forget the people that are working. And even during COVID, 133 million people were working. Uh, the people that make the most money were actually more on, were more employed. In fact, by October of 2020, the people that made 60,000 or more were actually back already. Uh, it, it was it was people that made less than 60,000 that were still unemployed. The average home buyer makes over 100,000. So when the next recession happens, know these three things. Number one, we never have a credit bubble. Uh, the market of 2002 to 2005 never happened. You could see it in the purchase application data. You could see it in the sales data. So we don't have to worry about it in something we wrote about recently, that credit getting massively tighter in relationship to the demand curve. And this is why I say mortgage purchase application data is actually below 2008 levels today. Where's the credit crash? You know, I see these memes of people saying the 2022 housing crash is the same as 2008. No. It isn't. People were filing for foreclosures and bankruptcies in 2005, six, and seven, and eight. Then the job loss recession happened. Then we had four million, you know, uh, total units available. Uh, much different marketplace. So credit is good. This is one of the reasons why last year I talked about. You know, we can handle higher rates to cool housing down because the household balance sheets are fine, and people still don't understand. So no matter how many times I show this data. Household balance sheets for homeowners are fine. They have a fixed debt payments for wages rise. They, they want to believe that homeowners are stressed as renters, even though it's not in the data. So when the recession happens, if rates fall down, in a sense, the buying power of those people that are working gets a little bit better. Um, my argument is that home prices growth went up so much so fast in this two and a half year period that it's going to be as less impactful as it was in the previous expansion. But still, that's that's okay. Uh, credit looks good. Uh, uh, Freddie and Fannie will still be functioning lenders, uh, you know, or or you know, buying loans. 
So it's a much different marketplace, more or less kind of like what happened after the tech bubble bursted in 2000, uh, where you know inventory actually went down during that period uh, in that recession because mortgage rates went lower and people had more buying power. So always remember, remember the people that are working during a recession. Majority of the country is always working. This is always lost uh, to like really doom and gloom people. And then the, the people that are mostly employed are traditionally have home buyer profiles. So always keep that context because what I've seen is that people say, well, mortgage rates were falling and it didn't impact you know, housing. Well, that's true because credit was really tightened up from a very elevated level. Not the case uh, uh, anymore. Sales aren't exploding higher at all compared to that time. So it's going to be a much different uh, housing cycle in the sense of the uh, uh, how demand is going to work and is credit going to get tighter? Uh, are we going to see massive foreclosures? Guess what? If you're using the 2008 model, you need to see credit get worse in 2005, six, seven, and eight. So you're already three years behind, right? So let credit deteriorate first if you're going to use a model. It's not working. That's why we use those charts always to explain to the real estate community that you can't put that model into here because there's nothing here that's similar. We had more inventory, higher sales uh, going up to the 2005 peak. We have less sales, less inventory. This is the savagely unhealthy part that we're still seeing double digit home price gains with like 20% decline in sales. That's not good at all. And the only reason this is happening is because we're working off the all-time low. Hence, the higher mortgage rates creates balance. But you don't have to worry about massive deterioration, forced credit selling, uh, option arm loans, recasting, stuff like that. None of that stuff existed. After, after 2010, we're good. It's back to a more of a traditional uh, recession where late cycle lending would be the risk and, and, and massive foreclosure is just not going to be the case because there's so much nested equity. Uh, totally different backdrop than uh, what we saw uh, from the 2005 to 2011 period. Something you talk about a lot is demographics. Demographics is everything. You didn't touch on it too much in that in that uh, answer, but I know even at the beginning you touched on uh, sentiment. You touched on home builder sentiment, inventory. So two big things there in the demographic conversation. As someone who is a thirty something who bought a home at the average age, is following your trajectory model. Just a walking statistic for Logan here. Um, how would you tie in someone who's like, okay, we go into recession, but you still have all these demographics. You still have this huge wave of millennials who want to buy 30 somethings. You still have, um, you said home builder sentiment. Maybe they're going to stop buying, building new homes. How does that play out for the spring, the summer? We're in the summer, so the summer, rest of summer buying season, fall buying season, winter in action on the market. And maybe that changes locally based on where people are. So we're going to still have over. 5 million total home sales this year. But uh, the new home sales sector is much different than the existing home sales market. That The new home sales sector actually impacts the economy more in terms of construction, labor, um, those kind of uh, uh, dynamics. The existing home sales market is falling. And as long as purchase application data is declining, it's going to keep on falling. That is a more of a transfer of commissions, uh, where the new home sales sector is actually more important to the economy in terms of construction jobs, uh, first, uh, you know, big ticket item purchases. So new home sales can go down. It's a much smaller marketplace, but the existing home sales market is an affordability issue. 
It's not credit getting tighter or anything. It's just that people cannot afford homes, uh, you know, at 6% or 5.5% mortgage rates. So they're not buying. Uh, uh, so, and home prices aren't falling to offset the increase. So it's a savagely unhealthy housing market. So the demographics are there. It's just a straight, simple affordability issue right now. This is actually something I've talked about before that. When rates rise, you're going to have an unbelievable battle between good demographics and affordability, right? So the people that can't afford to buy aren't buying. If rates come back down, some people pick up the buying. But uh, it's really rare in America after 1996 to have uh, uh, total uh, home sales under $4 million. It authentically only really happened in 2008. So much different backdrop now. The top or ending question I kind of wanted to, to wrap with that I um, would love to hear your thoughts on is, uh, Logan, you're constantly getting questions from people in the industry, even people outside of the industry are knowing what's going on. And I think those questions shift quite a bit. Um, someone asked us a while ago, when we were at the Cocktails with Logan question. I liked it because it let us see what the sentiment is for other people on the top question that you're receiving right now. What do you think is the question that most people are asking you and that you want to set the record straight on when it comes to this? This is a top question or everyone's paying attention to this and this maybe they should be paying attention to this instead. But what do you think is the theme right now since things are changing so fast? For housing, it's it's always the same question. Are home prices going to crash, right? And one of the things um, I talked about recently is that let's let inventory just get back to 2019 levels and let's get four months supply. And the reason I use that is that if that happens, we have a balanced marketplace. That is the four decade low in total inventory and a traditional four month supply. Then we can engage that discussion because right now we have one really big variable is where our mortgage rates going to go after a really big move. Um, higher rates, I always say they do their thing. They cool the market down to create more days on market. I actually believe we can get to the uh, 2019 levels next year, as long as rates stay higher. Uh, if rates start to come back down, the growth rate of supply might uh, uh, slow down or even reverse. But for right now, let's wait to get to 2019 levels and four months of supply. I know certain markets, they don't need to even have four months supply to have real, uh, a big change. And then let's have the housing crash or whatever price decline discussion. Because housing isn't, doesn't move like stocks. Uh, so I'm trying to convince people that there was a notion that uh, once rates rise, everyone's going to run to sell their house, even if it meant them being homeless or renting at a higher cost. That's not how housing operates. We just had the biggest hit on affordability in recent modern day history. And we're not even back to the high level of 2019 inventory, which was the four decade low. Four decade low. That's what it was. It's going to work itself up there because housing takes time, right? So we're coming off of a very low base, and let's get to that area. What, um, what, what? Some of the different things now is that uh, you don't have what we call forced credit selling. You could have maybe forced payment selling uh, if there's a recession. A forced payment selling means somebody has a lot of equity; they just lost their job, uh, and you know they want, they need to, they need the capital. Uh, uh, to maybe go rent in another place. That that is a viable that is a viable talking point, I believe. Once the job loss recession happens, but for now, it's not the case. Uh, and I think waiting to just get back to 2019. We already have some parts of the U.S. that have cracked into the 2019 area. 
Uh, and you can see a material change in housing. That's why I say we just get back to those levels. We're back to normal. The chaos ends. The madness all ends. That is a good thing because what happened in 2020, 2021, and the early part of 2022 is not good, is not bullish because home price growth goes way too fast. Uh, and what we need is a balanced market and then everything could go back to normal. And then we deal with the affordability issues at that point. And we're working our way up there. And I, again, I see that as a positive. I know some people might not think it is a positive. I see it as a positive just for the general health of the housing market. Not going out for just for next year, but going out for the next 10 or 15 years, because what happened in the last two and a half years, not a good thing. And I think a, a good case test case is, you know, we're talking about Las Vegas home sales down 24% year over year, home prices up 21% year over year. That's not normal. That is not a normal thing. We don't see that usually. Uh, but again, the only reason this is happening is because we're working from all time lows. Well, Logan, it's always a pleasure. And thank you for kind of unpacking the latest information that people need. Thank you, Brenna. Does housing market uncertainty have you guessing what's around the corner? This is one reason we created HousingWire Annual, what we're calling the Davos of Housing. What does that mean? It's where professionals from across the housing ecosystem come together for great content, but also the opportunity to share strategies, drive business, and discover new technologies with peers, innovators, and power players. Join us October 3rd through 5th at the Fairmont Princess in Scottsdale, Arizona. Head to housingwireannual.com to secure your spot now. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.